want to add my welcome to you all. I'm Greg Durenberger. I'm senior pastor here and one of the elders. Um, maybe just one more brief announcement. Um, next Sunday, we are planning a baptism service, and I know that there are some who will be baptized. And I'd like to just touch, if you're here today, you're going to be baptized next Sunday. If we could just visit for a few minutes briefly um, following the service today, we'll cover some logistical matters for you. As Ryan said, today we're going to launch a new series of sermons on the book of Daniel entitled, we've entitled it Kings and Kingdoms. And my goal today is twofold. Um, First objective is to explain our purpose for taking these next three months to give attention to God's word in Daniel. Second objective is to just jump right in and focus on what God has for us to see and hear in Daniel chapter 1. So back to the first one. Why, why Daniel? And there are several reasons. I'm just going to mention a couple. Um, first of all, as elders charged by God with feeding this flock, one of our most fundamental concerns is to offer you what we believe would constitute a balanced biblical diet. And that's because it's our conviction that it is essential for your spiritual health and well-being to hear from God's voice, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament. From, from beginning to end, God's word is rich and relevant, and everything that God says is profoundly profitable. It is written to engender faith, to strengthen your hope in him. And, and we also believe that one of the most urgent needs that we have is to grasp how these many different parts of the Bible, different kinds of literature, different focuses all fit together to make one storyline that culminates in Jesus Christ. And since we have been feeding for these past eight months on God's word to us from the New Testament, it's time again for us to hear God address us and point us to Jesus from the Old Testament. So that's the first reason. A second reason is our conviction that we, we need a word from God that will inform our perspective on these deeply troubling times. Um, as followers of Christ, we are citizens of two kingdoms. We have dual identities, as it were. And we are finding that this earthly kingdom where we reside physically, is very rapidly becoming less and less sympathetic to our values and faith. We see our nation burning, uh, figuratively, but in some states, quite literally. In fact, is um, the church that uh, Laurie and I visited about three Sundays ago in Roseburg, Oregon, um, Senior pastor and his family have been evacuated from their home as have been many members of their church because they've been at a level three evacuation mode. Uh, fires everywhere. 72,000 acres burned in 12 hours. 
And um, so th- there are brothers and sisters in that part of the country that are, have been in danger. But you know how tense it's been. And we need something durable enough to sustain our hope in the midst of the changes, in the midst of the losses and the fears and the griefs and the anger and the staggering absence of wisdom displayed around us every day. And in the book of Daniel, God reveals, he reveals the future in order to affect the present. And as um, inspiring, I suppose, Daniel's faith is and his courage is, the more that we get to know him, the more that we will realize that very, very few of us will ever become like him. But what we can learn is that however mysterious Daniel's visions may be, and he has some mysterious visions, they have one main message, and that is that kings and kingdoms will rise and fall But God's plan and purpose to establish his eternal kingdom will never be thwarted. And therefore, the ultimate aim of the book of Daniel is to engender hope in God's people who are living in a a hostile time, in a hostile world. And so to you, Emmaus Road Church, and uh, friends here today, and those um, watching this either live stream or by video, God says through Daniel... The end is not yet, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the ground of our endurance is the saving person and work of a sovereign king. And to this king has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all kings and all kingdoms and all nations and all languages and all peoples shall bow. And this king is our Lord Jesus, the Christ. So, as always, we need the truth of God in our minds and the fullness of God in our hearts. And so, we want to turn now this morning uh, to God and his word to us through the prophet Daniel. Just before we consider chapter 1, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, you have said, it is, it is to this one that I will look, to the one who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. And um, if, if there is a book within scripture that causes us to feel very humble and very dependent on you, causes us to tremble, it would be this book. This would be one of them. We really need your help. Pray that your spirit would be our help, that you would fulfill your promise. And Lord, as we do come before your word, humbly, Um, but with eagerness and desire that you would look to your people 
you would look upon us. You would bring your favor upon us. You would pour out your mercy upon us. Lord, that you would reveal your saving power. That you would make people new. That you would bring conversion to the hearts of sinful souls. Bring new birth. Bring people into your household. Make them part of your family. We pray that you would reveal the glories of your salvation so that you would be praised, that you would be magnified, that you would be worshipped as you are worthy to be worshipped. And Father, we would ask that you would also strengthen us from the inside out. We feel the crucible of these troubling times in different ways, every day, whether it's whether it's in the classroom at school or whether it's at work or whether it's conversing with neighbors or whether it is going to the store, whatever, wherever we are, we just recognize that things aren't the way they once were. And it, it's destabilizing. And with all that is going on, Lord, tensions rising, we need something more than sentimentality. We need something more than entertainment. We need something that will strengthen and sustain our souls. And so we come to you now, Lord, um, asking, seeking, knocking, that you would reveal yourself to us and among us for the, for the hope and the joy that is in you alone. Be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I find myself these days more tempted than ever to feel anxious. And that may be because there are more things than ever to tempt me to feel anxious. I'm tempted to feel anxious about getting caught in the crossfire, verbal crossfire between my neighbors, uh, the one who has a Trump flag in his garage and the other who has a Biden sign in his front yard. And one of them said to me the other day, I'm never going to talk to him again. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay. I mean, we used to feel that way about Packers fans, you know. Um, I'm tempted to feel anxious about the irrational rage that I hear expressed among old friends. I'm tempted to feel anxious about what's going to happen no matter who wins the upcoming election. I'm tempted to feel anxious about more freedoms, more choices being taken away. I'm tempted to feel anxious about the economic and social stability of our nation. And ultimately, I think under it all, I'm, I'm just tempted to feel anxious about the future. Are you tempted to feel anxious? God has a word for us in Daniel. The life of Daniel, the man Daniel, is set in Babylon in the 6th century BC. It begins with the siege of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a really nasty guy, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. That happened in 605 BC. The latest date that is mentioned by the author um, of Daniel is in chapter 10. That reference is to the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And that would have been be around 537 BC. So all that to say is, is that the book of Daniel covers a span of 
about 70 years of Daniel's life. From his deportation, his forced immigration, if you will, from his homeland while he was a teenager until he is well into his ninth decade of life. And for Daniel and for God's people, those 70 years would have been quite anxious times. And the root underneath the fruit of these anxieties would have been the answer to the question, what does the future hold? Is there a future? What is there to hope for? And according to the book of Daniel, the, the very emphatic, the very soul-stabilizing answer to that question is, God holds the future and is directing all history according to the purpose of his will. He is sovereign. He is directing all history according to the purpose of his will. We may not know what the future holds, but we surely know who holds the future. And Daniel chapter 1 serves as a summary statement to, to this entire book. And it holds out for us that same emotion anchoring truth, namely that God is sovereign and he is directing all history, all seasons, all circumstances, all situations according to the purpose of his will. And in this opening chapter, what I want to do now is I want to point out to you five specific ways that God's sovereignty, God's kingship is expressed for the sake of our peace and for the sake of his glory. So the first is this. We see here that God is an active king. He's an active king. It's, it's a theistic worldview that says there is a God. It's just that he's unengaged. He's out there, but he's uninvolved. But according to God's holy and authoritative word, God is an active being, an active king. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So how are we to understand the cause of Judah's demise? The historical answer is verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon came to Jerusalem, surrounded it, besieged it, took them down. But the theological answer of Judah's demise is found in verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim and the people of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Behind the human action is a sovereign God whose providence reaches to all persons and all places and all occurrences. All. The Lord caused Judah's demise. According to God's word, there is nothing that stirs in the world that God does not 
assert kingly governance over it. Whether it's success and victory, or whether it's failure and defeat, ultimately the result is in God's hands. In order to stand firm in the darkest of times, and when we feel most tempted to be anxious about the future, even, even dark times that, that are dark because of our own making, the first thing that we need to know is that God is in control. He is over all things. He reigns. He's not standing back at a distance, passive and aloof. Our future is not ultimately controlled by Babylon or its gods or by Washington, D.C. or whoever wins the next presidential election. Our future is ultimately controlled by the Lord God Almighty who made and sustains and rules over heaven and earth. God is an active king. God is also, secondly, a righteous king. God is righteous, and that means that he is eternally faithful in doing and pursuing and fulfilling and accomplishing the most right thing. He's passionate about what is most right, which would be himself and all that he has said. In the book of Leviticus, God plainly warns his people of the consequences of their sin. He very specifically spells out the blessings and the curses of his covenant relationship with his people in Leviticus chapter 26. If they serve the Lord faithfully, if they keep the terms of the covenant, they experience his favor and blessing. But according to Leviticus 26 verse 15, God says, If you spurn my statutes... And if your soul abhors my rules, I will lay your cities waste and make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will scatter you among the nations. And this is precisely the reason for Judah's demise. It's because of their persistent disobedience and rebellion against God over the course of many generations that the Lord eventually handed them over to their enemies and so they went into exile. And further, and this is with remarkable, stunning specificity, 100 years before the events of Daniel chapter 1, God had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he says. 100 years before it happened. The days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stood up till this, stored up till this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. hundred years later, that happens. God does not lie. God always does what is right. He is faithful to his word, to all that he has said. He must do what, he is, what is just. And so in faithful accordance to his word and what he has promised, 
It says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, things that came from the sanctuary. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, that is Nebuchadnezzar's God, and placed the vessels that were from God's sanctuary into the treasury of this idol. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. God's word through Isaiah is being fulfilled. God's promise through the Levitical covenant is being fulfilled because God always acts in accordance with what is right and in keeping with what he has said. He is faithful in all his judgments. And listen, if our righteous king is so diligent over his threats of judgment, surely he will also treat his assurances of mercy with the same kind of meticulous attention and care. See, I, I, I believe that God sometimes permits hardships to reach us because he intends for his mercy to reach beyond us. And as a righteous king, a righteous king, we can be assured that he always does right, what is most right. Here's a third thing. God is a humble king. The author of the book of Daniel is not shy at all about emphasizing the severity of this terrible humiliation of the Lord's people. Again, verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. He brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Do you see how many times it refers to his God, Nebuchadnezzar's God? This is just a horrifying humiliation. An Israelite reading this would have just been sick to their stomach by this apparent sacrilege of holy vessels devoted to the Lord God Almighty being deposited into the world of idols. But it gets worse. Verses 3 and 4. Again, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths, without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, whoever wrote the book of Daniel, his original readers would have been utterly appalled. Here is the cream of Israel's crop 
being completely reprogrammed in order to obliterate all memory of Israel and Israel's God from their thoughts and from their vocabulary. And it appears that the aim of this indoctrination was to instill a sense of total dependence on Nebuchadnezzar for all the good things in life. Look at verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food. Their food comes from the king now. Food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king, give an account to the king, rely on the king, live for the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Now, I read it, those names that way for a reason. Because in Hebrew, the names of, for the true God either are El or Yah. So you see, these, these, are, these are guys that were associated with God. Yahweh, Elohim, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. It goes on, the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Babylonian names, Chaldean names. Names after Chaldean idols. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Meshach Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Again, just appalling humiliation. It's a demonic strategy when we are tempted to forget the uniqueness of our God and the help that only he can provide. Clearly, the devil's at work in this situation. But our God is a humble king. He's not surprised at this. He knew perfectly well how it would be perceived. This horrific, this unthinkable, this appalling loss of distinct glory. Holy vessels in the dwelling place of idols. Chosen blemish-free sons in the realm of the demonic. But God, the humble king, does not count his own divinity a thing to be grasped for merely his own advantage. He gave over these unblemished sons and subjected them to the intense temptation of bowing to another king. And in doing so, he points us forward, future word, to another unblemished son. A son who emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, but who remained in the hostile world he entered, obedient and uncompromised, even to death in order to serve the purpose of magnifying the glory of God's redeeming grace. Doesn't it sound like Philippians 2, 8 and 10 where Paul says that Jesus being found in human form humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of it, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him favor, 
bestowed on him the favor of a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. We can be living in incendiary times, but our God is still an active king. He is still a righteous king, and he is a humble king. Here's the fourth one. Our God is a merciful king. Just when it seems that God's people and God's purpose through his people is about to be swept away by this tsunami of evil and demonic idolatry, Daniel rises up. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, right here, the entire tone of this chapter changes. Here's here's darkness, 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 humiliation, low, just plummeting down. And all of a sudden, Daniel stands faithful to God. And instead of acting in judgment as he had in verse 2, God acts in mercy. Look at verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. God gave, God blessed, God imparts favor and compassion Because God is active and God is righteous and God is a humble king and praise God, he is a king of mercy. For I venture to say, I think it's safe to say that the vast majority of us, we are far more like that, just the nameless multitude who were deported along with Daniel, that caved in. They caved in. They adopted foreign names. They ate the king's food. They assimilated into Babylonian culture. That's what we're like. That's what I'm like. As one commentator writes, if the message of this book is simply, be like Daniel, Or like the Sunday school song we used to sing, Dare to be a Daniel. If if that's what the message of this book is, then, well, we might as well just stop reading right now because there are not a whole lot of Daniels. But the good news of the gospel is not simply that God is merciful to those who are faithful to him, The good news of the gospel is that a Savior has come to deliver weak, faithed, compromised sinners like us. Loved ones, our salvation does not rest on our ability to remain pure and undefiled by the world. Our salvation does not rest on our ability to stand up strong like Daniel's. Our salvation, our experience of God's favor and compassion rest on the pure and undefiled offering that another made in our place. Our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He was not deported to this world against his will. He came voluntarily into our world with all of its brokenness and pain and trials. And he endured far greater temptations than Daniel and his buddies ever did or than we ever will. And yet he remained entirely faithful and pure until the very end. And Jesus is the one who grants the perfection of his obedience to all those who would trust him by faith. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Are you trusting Christ alone to be your access into all that God promises to be for you? Our God is an active king. Our God is a righteous king. Our God is a humble king. Our God is a merciful king. And finally... Our God is a triumphant king. At verse 21, it's, um, it's kind of like the writer has pushed the fast forward button. <laughs> Just look at what it says. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So what just happened? In verse 20, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they're in Babylon. They are standing in the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 21, who's this Cyrus? Cyrus is the king of Persia who began his reign in 539 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar has apparently left the building. He has just passed from the scene. And where is Babylon? It fell. Between verse 20 and the end of verse 21, it fell. And to whom did Babylon fall? To Cyrus and the Persians. See what happened? The mighty Babylon of Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it's gone. Nebuchadnezzar is gone. But Daniel, who had now been probably about 80-something, is still standing. Loved ones, kings and kingdoms rise and fall. But the purpose of God through the people of God, endures. And that's because God is sovereign and he is directing all history according to the purpose of his will. And this, therein, lies our peace and our confidence and our joy and our hope in hostile times. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I'm thankful today that um, 
I don't need to somehow muster up um, some Daniel-like qualities. I'm even more thankful that I don't have to muster up some Christ-like qualities. For the fruit of Christ-likeness, a Christ-like life, is a gift, it's a blessing we receive through faith. For you, you say, did, did he who supplies you with the Spirit work miracles among you? Bear Christ-like fruit in you and through you? Do so by works of the law of your own effort and self-reliance? Or is it by hearing, hearing the word with faith, trusting it, trusting your promises, trusting who you have promised to be? It's by hearing with faith. And so, Lord, on this day, we trust you. We entrust ourselves to you. You're the one to whom we look. In and of ourselves, we will fall and fail and compromise and assimilate and forget you. God forbid that that would be so. We pray that you would renew your people, that you would revive your people, that you would strengthen your people according to your word and by the work of your grace through the Holy Spirit so that we might live lives that are utterly, wholly dependent on you and you'd get glory in all things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand together.